Well, I want to begin a series then on uh, what I'm calling biblical stewardship. Um, you know, I don't know how it feels to you. It might be strange to kind of talk about money here. I'm not like a financial expert or a, um, you know, even, I don't even, can't even think of another th- way to say that. That's how little I know about that. But the Bible has a lot to say about um, finances and, and money. And money is one of the greatest issues in our lives. You know, so often in, in counseling or, or working with people, um, if they're struggling in life, they're very often struggling in their finances as well. Financial troubles are often involved. When, when doing marriage counseling, for example, one of the things that often comes up is um, the financial aspect of marriage. And, uh, and honestly, in my two years here, biblical stewardship has been a concern, just, you know, not a, not an urgent concern, but it's just, I see it, I, you know, there, it's, it's really amongst all of us. Um, but it's come up a few times and I thought, you know, it might be good to address it. It's a very practical topic and, uh, I hope it'll be a practical, helpful series for you. Um, many of us have never, had teaching on what the Bible says about money and possessions and eternity. And actually a lot of what I'm going to um, look at is is from a, a book that I would recommend. It's called Money, Possessions, and Eternity by Randy Alcorn. And uh, I haven't read the whole thing, but the parts that I have read are very good and it comes highly recommended. So a lot of things I'm going to kind of draw from there. So again, the Bible has a lot to say about money. Um, and I have a couple of books on, on, on biblical finances and stewardship, and both of them point out that there's about 2,350 verses in Scripture that talk about just our money, our possessions. 2,350. And that's more, apparently, than any other topic, probably depending on on how you divide the topics, but that's that's more than almost anything else. That's more than faith and prayer combined. So scripture has more to say about money even than faith or prayer. And apparently 15% of everything that, that Jesus said in the New Testament that's recorded for us, 15% of it is about our money and our possessions. And so the Lord has a lot to say about finances, about money, about possessions. And so we could ask, well, why, why so much? Why does the scripture say so much about this topic? And I think it's because money cuts to the heart more than any other topic. It cuts really to the heart of a person. It, it probably shows better than anything else who or what we love. If we looked at where our money goes, I think it would show who or what we love. It shows who we are. And really, I think why the Lord addresses it so much, it, because it really shows who we worship. And, um, and so I think this will be very, very practical, very helpful. Randy Alcorn said in his book, he said, quote, the principle is timeless. There is a powerful relationship between our true spiritual condition and our attitude and actions concerning money and possessions. So a powerful relationship between our true spiritual condition 
and our actions and attitudes about money. And so to kind of turn, to start this off, let's go to Luke chapter 3. I'm just, I'm, all I really want to do is introduce it tonight, and, and then I want to spend some time looking at a parable in Luke 12. But let's start at Luke chapter 3, and I want to look at, we'll look at verses 7 to 9. So Luke 3, 7 to 9. This is John the Baptist here. And so John the Baptist, he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So what does John the Baptist want to see there? What is he, what is he looking for? Remember, these are, these are supposed to be a little bit slightly interactive nights. What is John the Baptist wanting? Good fruit, yeah, good fruit. Fruit that, that goes along with what? Somebody else? Good, repentance, yeah. Fruit, he's looking for fruit that goes along with repentance. He's calling the, the nation to repent, to turn from their sins. And, and why does John the Baptist calling people to repent? What does it say there? What's, what's, he, what's, he, what's the point of them repenting? What's he warning them about? Yeah, to flee from wrath, right? God is, God is angry. That's what wrath is. God is angry with the people. So they need to repent, turn away from their sins in the kind of, in the hopes that there will be mercy from God. So John wants, he's calling them to repent because the wrath of God has come. It's, it's the axe. It's kind of like a, a vivid picture. It's at the root of the trees. God's going to chop down the tree. You're the tree. He's going to chop you down any minute unless you repent. And so there's wrath coming. But then look at verse 10. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? So he wants them to repent and they say, okay, John, what do we, how do we repent? What do you want us, like, what do you want us to do? And in verse 11, he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. So I don't know if this is, if this will be a question that you can answer just from on the top of my head here, but what, when, when John is looking for the fruit of repentance, where is he looking from verses 10 to 14? 
What's he, what's he looking at? When he, what's he looking for? What do all of those things have in common that, that he told the people to do? Yeah, that's right. Finances, right? It, so he look, he's looking for repentance and he, he looks, if I could say it this way, he's, he's looking at the checking account, right? He's looking in the wallet to see the fruit of repentance because I think that's where we see, uh, it's a place where we can most readily see a change. Um, but it's interesting that all of these things have to do with finances. This is what um, Randy Alcorn said. He says, quote, No one asked John about money and possessions. They just asked him what they should do to bear the fruit of spiritual transformation. Yet all his answers relate to money and possessions. Those two things were of such high priority, so close to the heart of what it takes to follow God, that John couldn't talk about spirituality without talking in terms of how we handle our money and possessions, end quote. I think that's really, really interesting. Now, as we think about that, um, somebody's got some harmonica back up for me to, to make sure it, <laughs> I appreciate that, Daisy, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever hear the the time that John John MacArthur preached at like a Southern Black church, and and he was the only one in this conference that couldn't figure out how to use the choir that they gave him. They gave him like a backup choir, and and he's like, I'm the only one that just couldn't figure out how to how to kind of inject that into the sermon. But um, anyways, maybe one day I'll say something that no. The choir will go in the background or the harmonica. So thanks for that. Um, so just kind of thinking about, just kind of introducing this again, the, the, our finances. Um, it's interesting to think just what would John or any first century Christian say to us if he came and saw our lives? And, um, and just kind of asking that question already just shows like this is a bit of an awkward topic as well and it's kind of convicting even just like even just for me just to be up here talking about money and finances it's you know this is an area though that that shows our true character and and our true priorities and and concerns maybe better than any other area of our lives and Jesus of course he wants to be Lord of every aspect of our lives, not, not just like our church on Sunday, obviously, but every aspect of our lives, he's to be the Lord of, and, and he, he will be the Lord of. Like if, if we're a true believer, he's going to work in our lives to reform us in every area, including the area of our money. And that's why he has so much to say about it, because money more than anything else can be a, become a God to us, right? It could be something that we worship other than God, um, because there's a lot of good things, like in the worldly kind of sense, there's a lot of good things that are tied to our money. Um, comfort is tied to money. Security can be tied to money. Um, pride can be tied to money. There's a lot of like sins that can, that can kind of connect really quickly and closely to our finances. And so the Lord wants to kind of free us from that area. And so, you know, we can feel guilty talking about money and possessions. It can be kind of awkward to talk about it, but 
At the same time, it could also be really encouraging and, and a really exciting thing because it's also a great opportunity for us to serve the Lord to use our money. And so the Lord will often talk about preparing for eternity, laying up treasure in heaven by using our money, using our finances, using our resources to, to serve Him in this world before we go to heaven. And so this, this whole topic, although it could be awkward, although it could be guilty, could also be fun, exciting, and, and life-changing thing. Um, again, so many kind of spiritual issues can, can be tied to a bad use of money, and so the Lord wants to kind of free us from that. So just by, just by kind of putting some, some very basic biblical principles into effect, we can do a lot of good, and, um, and it can be a, a great joy obeying what the Lord says in this area. You know, finances can be a huge stress in our lives, but when God has control of it, that stress can be released, and we can use money and possessions, and, and that, that kind of stress can be taken away and replaced with trust and, and peace and, and just leaving it in the Lord's hands. But we have to follow what scripture says about these things. Uh, Randy Alcorn says again, one more quote from him, quote, my interactions with people as a pastor, teacher, counselor, and researcher, as well as my observation of my own tendencies have convinced me that in the Christian community today, there is more blindness, rationalization, and unclear thinking about money than anything else. And so, yeah, we don't, we don't want to be like that. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to talk about it. We're going to look at it. Um, so let's go then to Luke chapter 12. <clears throat> now this might be the first parable that I've, like, actually taught in a, in a class like this here. Um, I know I've preached a few of the parables, but um, parables, the, the word parable, parabole, uh, means, para means beside, and a, a bale is literally like a throw. So we're, we're, we're talking about a throw beside. And a parable is a, is a, a true-to-life story that's, that's thrown along side a spiritual truth to kind of illustrate the truth. So Jesus uses something from the natural world, something about fishing, something about farming, something about kind of everyday life in the ancient Near East. And he, he, he tells a story about it. It's a narrative. He tells a story, but he's telling it to illustrate and teach a spiritual truth. And so we kind of want to understand the, the story that he tells and the main point of it. And then we want to kind of go off onto the spiritual side and see what is he actually teaching. Now, this parable is one of, I think it's four unique parables in the Gospel of Luke that is, is, is called a, um, I don't, I don't even, most parables are, are something just about a natural thing, like, like fishing or sowing seed or farming or whatever. And, and then that picture of that, that natural real thing pictures something spiritual. 
But there's four parables in Luke that don't use that kind of double um, switchover thing. And, and what they do is they actually talk more directly to what the situation is. So Jesus is going to tell us about an actual person and how they spend their money. And that's going to teach us about a person that spent, how they spend their money. So instead of telling us about fishing and then that illustrates some, something in, in reality, this is more closely connected to reality than the other parables. So there's, this is a little bit different. Uh, it's called a single indirect parable. Most parables are kind of double indirect. There's kind of two shifts going on. But it, it, it addresses the reader directly by addressing the subject at hand, but it addresses us indirectly because we're, we're going to look at a rich man. He's not going to talk about me and you. He's going to talk about this certain rich man. So that probably didn't help at all. But let's just look at, uh, starting in verse 13, let's read the parable here. It says, someone in the, and, and I'll start a little earlier than the parable, but someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, so now he's addressing the whole crowd again, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So um, just kind of looking at that parable, and this is going to be an easy question since uh, you know what we're talking about. But what is, what is the subject at hand? What, are we, what is this parable talking about? What's happening in the in this situation? <laughs> RRSPs. We're not going to get quite there. Um, I probably won't get there in this series at all, actually. But yeah, um, but it's kind of closely related to that, right? What else would you say? What other words would you say this talks about? Greed. Good, yeah. Greed. We see that. Guard against all covetousness, verse 15. What else? What just kind of single word answers? What what is this? What do you see in that parable, or in in the whole story? The man is yeah. So we're talking about wisdom or folly. Good. What else do you see in there? What is the what is the guy gonna? gonna do there what when he when he has all his goods laid up for himself what's he gonna what's he gonna do yeah live for himself he's gonna eat drink and be merry
I just wrote down here finances, possessions, comfort, ease, greed, and treasures. So that's kind of what we're talking about. Now, normally when I teach through a parable, we, we would kind of understand the parable itself and then, and really get a good understanding of the main point of the story that Jesus tells. And then we'd, from there, we'd, we'd make this jump into the spiritual meaning of what the parable is actually teaching. But again, because this is a, a single indirect parable and not a double indirect parable, it's actually really easy to see what this parable is talking about. It's talking about finances, possessions, comfort, ease, greed, treasures, um, what we value. The, the parable is kind of already at the level of the truth that we're talking about and that Jesus is teaching. So as we kind of just look through the parable, we'll kind of do the parable first and then we'll, we'll kind of zoom out and look at the context. But the first thing we'll see is and if you were taking notes, it'd be, this would be number one in your outline. This is the man who prospers in verse 16. So the first thing we see is the man who prospers. And again, look at verse 16. He told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. The man of a rich man produced plentifully. Now, what do we know about this man? Just tell me what you know about the man from the parable so far. And this could be just anyone, just quick. He's rich. rich. Okay, good. He's rich. He's a man. He's rich. What else do we know? One other thing at least. A farmer. Good. And, and what does the farmer have that, that helps him get rich? <laughs> no, Lindell. <laughs> Land, yeah, land, Lindell. <laughs> Thank you for that, though. Uh, no sheep. I'll keep that in mind. This might that might be a, a valuable lesson in this uh, financial stewardship thing. Um, okay, so uh, we got a rich landowner, and what's what's the situation in the parable? What's happening? Verse sixteen. What 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 happens here? Bumper crop, yeah. Unlike the sheep that Lindell's got growing over there, this guy's land is producing plentifully. Um, so, uh, bumper crop. And so it's, it's a productive land. It, it, notice, it's not that this man is particularly diligent or anything, but, um, it's just that his land is very productive. It, it bore plentifully. So we got the man who prospers in verse 16. And then we have the man who plans. In verses 17 to 19. So the man who plans. Um, first thing we see is, is the problem in verse 17. Uh, what's this guy's problem as he makes a plan? And, and maybe I should say here, notice he's, he's thinking to himself. He's, he's kind of, he's meditating on what, what he should do. But what's his problem here in verse 17? Yeah, more crop than storage. So he, he doesn't have a place to store all this crop that he has. Now, some people say, as they kind of interpret this parable, they, they say that, um, you know, maybe this guy didn't want to sell his crop because um, he didn't want to flood the market and make the prices go down. And so there's a there's a... 
um, that'd be another sign of just his greediness. He wants to kind of get the most out of this. I'm not sure about that. Jesus doesn't necessarily say that. And it's, it's in, in, in parables, I think it's really important to interpret them right. You got to stay really close to what's actually said. But it doesn't really matter. This, this guy, he has such an abundance that it, it's actually like a problem. And he's kind of going like, what am I going to do about this? I've got so much grain. Um, and, and, you know, maybe it's going to go bad or whatever. So he's got to solve the problem. He's got a problem. He's got too much. And so he's going to solve the problem. Um, now notice he doesn't turn to God for help with his problem. He just thinks to himself. So he's thinking to himself. He's not, he's not taking this situation to the Lord. He's just thinking to himself and he reasons within himself and he comes up with a solution. And so here's kind of like natural man at his best doing, doing what he can come up with on his own. And his solution is, I'm going to tear down these barns. I'm going to build bigger ones. I'm going to store all my stuff. So he's going to build a big storage facility. Now, as you think about that, is there, is there anything wrong with having a big storage facility for a farmer? No. no. no? Okay. These guys know. That's great. Um, these guys know there's no problem. That's okay. You're, you that's, that's, that's allowable, right? You can have some, some storage place. Now, where does it become clear then that this guy is doing something wrong? And we're just looking in verses 17 to 19 here. What do you see here that, that tells us that he's actually, he's actually sinning by building these storage facilities and not just kind of doing something prudent? He just wants it all for himself. Yeah, good. What else do you, what do you see there in the text that, that he says to himself? Eat, drink, and be lazy. Eat, eat, drink, and be merry. He's going to relax. Eat, drink, and be merry. So he just wants to uh, take it easy and uh, enjoy, enjoy the good life. Now, I think you guys already said this, but when you, when you look at what he's focused on in verse 18 and 19, what, what is he focused on? And, and what, what does he want to use all of this, this blessing that he has on? For himself. Yeah, that's right. For himself. He, he's, his focus is on himself. He wants ease. He wants pleasure. He wants to, just take it easy, have a good time, eat, drink, and be merry. And what's he forgetting then? Maybe that's too hard of a question. What, what's he living for? Yeah, for himself. And, and how else would you say that? What, what, is, what is he living for? Satan. Satan's good. Not, not God yet, but he should be living for the Lord. Um, yeah, the here and now, or or the world, right? He wants to. He's his focus is on this world. So then, what's he forgetting? That's right, God. And what else? What what happens forever when we hang out with God? Eternity in heaven. Yeah, eternity in heaven. So he's he's living for the world. He's living for the now, and he's forgetting about 
eternity. And so he's just going to have a good time now. Now, the, the third point in, in our study of the parable, we saw the, um, <clears throat> we saw the man who prospers, now the man who plans. Third is the man who perishes. And verse 20 starts off by saying, but God. And so there's a, there's a, a big contrast here between what's going on and all of a sudden God kind of interrupts. And God interrupts this man in the midst of his pursuits. And it's literally there. Um, it's literally, they are demanding your soul from you. They are demanding your soul from, from you. This night, your soul is required. And, and it's kind of a way to, to, to more indirectly talk about God here. And so, so they are demanding. The idea is God is demanding. And that Luke kind of has a few kind of sayings like that. And, um, and, and so there's, there's this demand coming from God ultimately for this guy's life. And the idea is your soul is required this very night. What's going to happen to your plans for ease then? Now, what is God's, you know, you know, let's just stop and let's just think about, you know, a lot of people would look at this guy and they would see this plentiful harvest that he's got and they'd see all the abundance of things that he has and they'd see him building these bigger barns and more storage and, and, uh, like that guy's got it made. Right? I think that's how a lot of people would think about it. This guy's got it made. He's got everything. He's got lots and lots of money. And now he can just eat and drink and relax and, and live the good life. And so that's, I think that's how the, the world would think about it. You know, wow, he, I, I wish I could have all of that. I wish I could have built such nice, look at those nice barns that guy's got. Woo wee. Um, but God looks at the whole thing. And what is God's judgment of this in verse 20? Hell. Not hell. <laughs> but I like it that you guys are trying and listening. I, and I really liked watching you guys singing up here earlier too. Um, what does God say to him? Does it, so you guys got to, oh, you, you don't even need a Bible. You just got it. You remembered the whole thing. He called him a fool. And I love the King James translation. That's probably the only part I know in the King James. Thou fool. Does anyone have the King James here? No? Okay. That's good. But um, <clears throat> thou fool. So God's judgment, God looks at this guy that we might think, wow, he's so wise and he's doing such a great job. God says that he's a fool. And that word fool there is, it means without sense. He's uh, um with, without, without thought, without, um, careful consideration or thinking or understanding. So he's, frone is, is like this process of, of really carefully thinking about something, understanding something, but afrone then is, is to, to lack that. So this guy ha- is, is lacking prudence. He's lacking good judgment. He's foolish. He's ignorant. He's mindless. He's, destitute of knowledge and truth and God is not afraid to just tell him like it is so he is a fool
Now, this might be a hard question, but if someone's making a plan to provide for their future with, without God, they're, so they're, they're kind of like thinking about what they're going to do. What are, what are they trying, what do you call that when someone's like planning how they're going to do things? Um, when, they're, when they're trying to make things work out the way that they want them to work out, what, what would you maybe call that? What are they trying to do to their situation or circumstances? Be in control. Yeah, that's really good. Be in control. So this guy, he wants to be in control of his future, but that's something that we can't do. Um, this is a quote from uh, commentator Kistemacher, Simon Kistemacher. He says, he wanted to be in complete control of the situation. For him, there was no trust and dependence on God. He thought about his own ease, pleasure, and security. Now, we'll come back to this idea about control in a little bit, but let's just think about now, let's look at um, the context surrounding. So let's look at the context. Now, in this case, this this. This section is a huge section in the book of Luke that goes from really from verse 4 all the way to chapter 13 and verse 9. And so it's a, it's, and, and of course Luke, Luke has the longest chapters. Chapter 12 has 59 verses. So this is a, a, a big context here. And, and Luke's kind of put all of this together thematically. Every, everything in this section kind of revolves around this same idea. So we studied the parable. Now, now we'll kind of just look at, at clues to the meaning from the context. And so chapter 12, even starting in verse 1, Jesus is, is preaching. And he's, he's warning his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And he just finished pronouncing the woes on the, the scribes or the Pharisees and the lawyers in verses 37 to 52 of chapter 11. Look at chapter 11, verse 52 and 53. He says, Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. And as he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and provoke him and speak many things about him. They were lying in wait for him to catch him in something that he might say. And so he, he's, he's in a hostile environment here, and, and he warns the disciples about the, the leaven of the Pharisees in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 12. So there's kind of a warning there. Beware, and, and he, he warns them that, that one day their hypocrisy is going to be revealed. And so Jesus then starts to teach that, that when when the hypocrites are hostile against you, don't fear. And so look at verse 4 of chapter 12. Don't fear. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, like these people who are trying to kill Jesus right as he's preaching this sermon. So do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. 
Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And so what's Jesus saying in, in verses 4 to 12? What's he, what's he telling these disciples? Just kind of, what are some words that you think of there? Go, yeah, go, go out and spread the gospel close, but specific, more specific than that, what, what's, he, what's he telling them to do or to not do? This is probably a couple things you could grab there. What, what's, he, what's he saying that, uh, that they should do? Trust and not worry. Yeah, trust, trust and not worry. Yeah, not worry, not, not fear. They should um, confess Christ as the Lord. And, and even in the midst of all that, all those difficulties, God cares for you. God cares for us. And so, again, don't worry. Trust God. The Spirit will be with you um, in these kind of situations. Now, in the midst of this teaching on fear and worry uh, about persecution, Jesus gets interrupted his, and that's, you know, his sermon gets interrupted in the middle of his message as he's talking to these disciples. And he's interrupted about an inheritance dispute. Now, the rabbis, they, they, it kind of was their job to settle disputes. Um, but Jesus isn't an ordinary rabbi here, and, and he's not about to, um, to kind of enter into this guy's dispute. And so, he sternly says, and look, at, look again at verse 14. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And then he warns in verse 15, he says, and he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And of course, then he tells the parable that we just looked at. And so our parable is addressing a warning about greed and the question of, of what life consists of. Jesus just says life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. That is not life. Beware of greed and beware of thinking that life consists of your possessions. Now then Jesus tells the parable to teach them about this. And then let's go and let's look after the parable. Let's start looking um, at verse 21. Verse 21 says, so, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The man in the parable is a representation of a man who stores up treasure for himself and he's not rich 
towards God. And so Jesus is saying, beware, watch out for this idea that life consists of possessions. Watch out for, for every form of greed because this world is passing away and you could enter into eternity really at any time. Now again, as we think about the rich man in the parable in, in verse 19, what was he wanting out of life? What do you see there? What is verse 19? Even you could almost just read it. What does this guy want out of life? Relax, eat, and drink, and be merry. That's, that's kind of like the good life in that, guys. And, and again, remember, God called him a fool for that kind of thinking. Now, if we continue just looking at the context, verse 22 And he said to his disciples, therefore, you know, after everything that he just said, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Life is more than food is not for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. And verses 22, really all the way to verse 34, is really the application of the parable. This is what Jesus kind of wants us to bring home. And he he tells us, and we've kind of looked at the parallel passage of this in Matthew chapter 6. But Jesus says, Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and is tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide for yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now 12.22, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. And that word life there is, is soul. And the same thing again in verse 23 about your soul. And so what are we not supposed to do about our life or about our soul? Well, we're not supposed, we're not supposed to worry about it. And why are we not to worry? Verse 23, because life is not about our possessions. Life is not about what, what we own. And of course, all these illustrations that follow, Jesus illustrates from nature showing just how silly it is for us to worry. Ravens, they don't, they don't sow and reap. They don't farm. Uh, they don't even have barns like this guy has built himself. 
But God feeds them without without the normal means that we use, right? We we have to do some farming and sowing, whatever, but but the, the ravens, God feeds them. They don't need to do all that. And it, it's the same with, you know, with worrying. Wh- what can you do? Who from among you can add a, a single stature or a single span to his life or a um, a foot to his height by worrying? And of course, worrying doesn't accomplish anything. Now look at verse 26 again. It says, If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Now how would you actually answer that question? Why are, why are you anxious about the rest? If you, can't, if you can't even do like such a simple thing as adding a little bit of time to your life by worrying, why, why, do, you, why do we worry? And I... I'm looking at you going, that's, this question's a little too hard. Um, but the, I think the answer is, or at least one of the reasons why, is because we're trying to be in control of our life, and, and we just can't be in control. So why do we worry? Because we're trying to make sure everything works out our way, and, and we don't recognize that we really can't control anything. So why do you worry? Because we're trying to be in control when, when God himself is in control and he promises that he'll take care of us, but we have to do what he tells us to do, which is to seek, verse 31, seek his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. And again, the illustration with the lilies is the same. The, the lilies, they don't work hard, but God clothes them and, and how much more valuable are we than the lilies? So greed and worry and thinking life is about possessions, thinking life is about taking our ease, um, about even about ourself, thinking life is about what we can get out of it, or, or about this world and, and what we can, can kind of enjoy from this world. All of that, Jesus is telling us, comes from a lack of faith. You, you men of little faith. Worry and, and greed is, is a lack of faith, really a lack of faith in eternity, right? We are to believe in eternity that's, that that's going to last forever. And when we're so focused on this world, it's just showing that, that we don't really believe what God has promised and what God has said in his word. So if, or, or when we try to control the world, we're not trusting God. So faith and trusting God, those, those two things go together. And so a, a kind of a, like an application question to just think about as we look at this passage is what, what concerns you? What, what are you thinking about? What do you, what do you worry about in the world? Because there's a connection between our worry and what we seek after, what, what we're, what we're, what's really important to us in the world. So there's this connection, what we worry about, what we think about, what we're meditating on shows us really what, what we seek after. And again, verse, starting in verse 29, do you not, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. 
Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. All right, look again at verse uh, 33. Jesus says there, uh, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So instead of thinking about life or thinking sorry instead of thinking about life as 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 though it's our possessions Jesus wants us and even and tells us here to sell them and build a treasure in heaven that never fails. Um give to charity or or in the ESV it's um yeah give to the needy it's it's kind of give alms that word comes from mercy the idea there, I don't think, is to sell everything that we own. I don't think that's what Jesus is calling us to here. If you sold everything that, that you owned, you would need alms. And the, the rest of us, um, who are not as spiritual as you, would have to kind of take care of you because uh, you, would be, you would be broke. So um, I don't think that's the idea here. But the, the idea is this just kind of a, a total reversal of the way that we think. That, that we're more concerned about eternity than about the earth. And so think of this in, in terms of the parable. Instead of hoarding your abundance, focusing on yourself and your ease, give your abundance away, focusing on God and the kingdom and the eternal reward that we'll have in heaven. Again, verse 34 is such an important verse. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I used to only kind of think about this verse in, in the terms of kind of on the one side, on like the, the treasure in this world. You know, if our, if our treasure is in this world, our heart will be there also. But you can kind of reverse that around. And if your treasure is in heaven, if God is your treasure, if eternity is your treasure, if, if, if being part of and serving his kingdom is your treasure, that's where our heart will be as well. And, and, and really you can't separate those two because if our, if our, if we really care about what God is doing in the world, we're going to support it with our finances, with our treasure. If, if our heart is really in heaven and on eternal things, then our money is going to go there as well. Another way to, to talk about treasure is just to ask what, what do you value? What, what we value what we delight in, what we love. It could be God, his kingdom, his work, his purposes, or it can be the world, comfort, ease, um, eating and drinking and being merry. And, and again, we're, we're f- allowed to enjoy those good things. We, we should eat and drink every day. Um, you know, you need to or you'll die. But, and we should enjoy it to the glory of God. But the question really is here, where is the, the chief concern of our lives? What do you treasure? What are you worried about? What are you concerned about? What are you desiring? Where are you investing? And so then if we think about kind of, okay, let's go back to the parable a little bit. 
And just think about what, what we should be drawing out of this. This man was, was doing well in the world, and he was going to just take care of himself in the world. He had no thought of eternity. He's just going to eat, drink, and be merry. But what he didn't realize is that in that very moment, at that very night, his soul was going to be required of him. He's going to die, and all of those things, God asks him, whose will they be? And of course, they're, they're not going to be anybody's. Maybe he has children, maybe he doesn't, doesn't say in the parable. Uh, but his treasure, he's not rich towards God. He doesn't have treasure in heaven because he, he spent all his treasure on earth. And so he, he's lost everything in that moment. And so when we seek security and pleasure outside of God, it's a, it's a foolish and vain pursuit. So that's kind of one point is, is that we should draw from this is just the, this idea like it could be over any moment. And then what's going to happen? Where, where's our treasure at? Um, another thing that we can, we can ask here is what, is what is life really about? And we realize from this parable, it's not about possessions. It's not about comfort. It's not about pleasure in this world. And so we can ask ourselves, what are we going to put first? We can fear man, we can fear about our livelihood, those are kind of the two fears that are happening in the context, or we can fear God, and if we fear God, every, that's, an, that's an eternal thing. So it's, it's kind of, again, the temporal versus the eternal. Where's our focus? Is it now or is it eternal? And again, if you choose to live for the here and now, God, God's just right straight up about it. He calls us a fool. Um, and I know, like, I, I just even saying that, like, I know there's, like, I'm foolish sometimes. I, I don't put everything into eternity the, the way that, that we should and that we're called to here. Um, but I, I know that, like, at least I know for me, and I, I'm sure for you guys too, we don't want to be a fool, right? We don't want to waste our life. We want to, invest in heaven and and uh and be wise because we know that it's it's going to be better there and so this is just a, a challenge to to all of us and as well a challenge to to stop worrying stop trying to control stop depending on ourself and let god be god let god be in control trust him depend on him fear him and uh and look to him and so that's kind of the, the, the beginning of our, our time in, in stewardship. Um, just kind of a challenge to be eternally minded, heavenly minded, to be wise in, in preparing for eternity because this life is, is going to be short and done and we don't want to, we don't want to waste our time. We don't want to waste our life. So the, the, that's kind of a, a a foundational principle for stewardship and and next time I think we'll we'll get even more practical in this whole thing and we'll start we'll start talking about other aspects of stewardship um and uh but but really this this whole thinking this like heavenly minded living for God and his glory that's that's really the foundation of it all and everything else kind of flows from that if you don't have this 
all the, the principles about being in debt and stuff won't really mean much because you won't, you won't have the motivation to live eternally. So, um, yeah, that's it for tonight then. Unless, unless like somebody has a question or something. Alan. Luke twelve thirty two. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fear not. So. Fear not. I think it could be both about the, the people that want to kill you or um, about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. So, so don't fear that. But I think it's a, like an encouragement then that the Father is, is delighted to give us the kingdom. Like it's, you know, we don't have to, we don't have to worry about, like he's, he wants to bless us. He wants us to, um, he wants us to to seek his kingdom and um and so it's supposed to be like an encouragement towards that does that help a little bit okay yeah that's a good point too yeah he's i don't know if you can hear him but um uh, um peter said if he if he's delighted to give us the kingdom, then like how much more will he give us these lesser things? I think that fits in really well as well. So if he's going to give you the kingdom, then like if he's going to give you the kingdom of heaven, then like he'll take care of some some food and clothing and whatever else, right? So that's really good too. So don't don't worry about all those things. He's gonna he's gonna take care of take care of you. And and if you do what he tells you, seeking first the kingdom. Um, And you and you and you you know give and prov- you can there'll be a treasure for you that will not fail. Good. Any other any other questions or comments? Great. Well, let's uh, let's end with prayer then. Lord, we thank you for this time together, and we thank you that you have so much to say in your word about stewardship. Uh, we pray that you would help us to be eternally minded. To, um, to not from guilt, Father, but from, from joy, uh, serve you and, and be more heavenly minded. We pray that, that you would be a greater treasure in our lives, that we would treasure you and that we would joyfully, um, live in this world for your honor and glory. We ask that you'd help us in these things and help us with this series, uh, in Jesus' name. Amen.